Okay, so today our guest is Paisley Hillegeist. Welcome, hello. Thank you, Captain. I'm glad to be here. Okay, so it was only about a week ago. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I've had enough of making this podcast. Really? And then, um, and then you sent a message and you're like, oh, I've got these stories. And I'm like, oh, and then you sent me the list of <laughs> things you could talk about. I'm like, okay, you've got me interested now. So well, good. we're back again for, for another show. So I'm glad to hear that. Let's, let's see what happens. So from the list of things you sent, there's some print stuff there. We'll we'll get to that. But I saw the sliced own things. I'm interested to hear your what you've got to say about those stories. So let's go there. Yeah. Well, um, I was going to college in Los Angeles. I was a huge Prince fan, and um, I just kind of fell backwards into this crazy uh, adventure of working for Sly Stone. Uh, it was 1985. So what, what year is this? 85, yeah. 85. And uh, I met a fella, ended up being the boyfriend from hell. And, and I'll be <laughs> honest with you, like I've, I've wanted to tell these stories for years, but uh, I've kind of been afraid to because of him. Um, uh-huh. we'll, we'll call him Green. And, uh, you know, he, he was a kind of a challenging fella to be with. And so it ended up not pretty. And yeah. I kind of haven't wanted to dig that up. But, you know, in today's <laughs> world of Harvey Weinstein and all of that, I, I think people kind of understand. Yeah, everyone's, and everyone seems to be getting this, the courage to say the things that they haven't been saying. Right, the courage to talk about things. So. Which, which is good. Anyway, it turns out he worked for Sly. And um, I didn't know that. He told me that he had worked for Prince, and that piqued my interest, and we started hanging out, and I was really naive, <laughs> incredibly gullible. So and uh, can, I, can, can I ask, how, how old were you in 1985? I was 20. was going to give things away? You were 20, okay. So you're still you're 20, young, so, you're naive, uh, that's okay. You're allowed to be naive when you're 20. Yeah, yeah. And I just moved to L.A., so I really, you know didn't know <laughs> the ways of the world. Mm. Um, but anyway, I got involved with this fella green and he used to take me over to uh, an apartment on Barham road in, uh, in LA. And uh, we would go hang out at his friend's house and he called him Sylvester. Yeah. And uh, boy, so funny. Like there was a secret knock to get in which I thought was really weird. And I totally did not understand that at the time, but he'd be mm. like, we're going to go see Sylvester. And then he'd do this knock. And it was like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you know, bump, 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 yeah. right. And uh, so that was the secret knock. Now y'all know. Um, <laughs> I like to think it's not the same secret knock 30 years later. Probably not um, the same. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, right. And uh, we'd go in and uh, he introduced me to the lady who lived there. Her name was Rose and her daughter lisa and uh you know just hung out in the living room while uh green went to talk to his friend sylvester back in one of the bedrooms and you know i didn't think that was strange i don't know why i didn't think that was strange but i didn't and there i would just sit on the sofa and work on my schoolwork because i was a college student and lisa was typing her papers for high school and rose was cooking in the kitchen and music would be playing and I'd be joking with them and, you know, say, oh, I remember the song. And at one point, Rose says to me, she put on Family Affair and she says, do you remember this song? And I said, yeah, I love that song. 
had no clue. She says, yeah. what do you think of the female singer? I said, oh, I listened for a while. And I said, yeah, she's really good. Had no clue it was her. <laughs> I mean, that's how, like, they just thought it was hysterical that I had no idea what was going on. And uh, after a while, like maybe three or four times of being over there for a bit, music started coming out of one of the bedrooms. And it was funky. It was really like, wow. And I remember turning to Rose and asking her, hey, your brother, Sylvester, he should get a recording contract. He's good. <laughs> and they just laughed. That, that's how naive I was. So yeah. they just, they thought that was hysterical. And eventually I must've hung out like for about a month on and off, like a few days a week without seeing Sylvester before he came out and Green introduced him to me and just said, hey, Syl, this is Paisley. Paisley, this is Syl. I was like, hey, nice to meet you. And I remember thinking he was this really skinny dude. He looked older than I was. I mean, at 20, everybody looks older. Yeah. Um, and he was, you know, he was kind of, he clearly didn't care about his body or his dress or, you know, he wasn't all fancy. He was just chill. And he, he had a really low voice and he would say, Hey, nice to meet you. You know, really low yeah. in, in the basement, his voice was. And mm. after a while, Green says to me, you know, that's Sly Stone. And I was like, it is. And that only meant something to me because I knew that Prince loved him. Mm. That was, that was it. I knew that he was a huge, huge uh, influence on Prince because I'd done a lot of reading. And so that's why it mattered to me. But I knew him as Sylvester before I knew him as Sly Stone. Yeah. And that made a huge difference. And I had to, you know, put in my hours of sitting there in that front room and, you know, just hanging before he yeah. would come out and meet me. And then I started going in the back room and listening to the music as it was being made. Uh, he was working on a song called Ikebo Static. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Great yeah. song. Great song. Now, it ended up on the... It was on some soundtrack On the record Soul... Yes, for Soul Man. And he had a couple of songs on that. He had that song, Ikebo, which really was his. And then he had a song... It was a duet with Martha Davis and the Motels called Love and yep. Affection. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but I tell you, that Ikebo static was a funky, funky thing. And right around that time, John McClain who was the VP of A&R for R&B at A&M, which we love to say that. Lots of letters, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was working on signing Sly. And so we started spending some more time over at A&M. And that was cool. That was, that's, I'd never been in a recording studio. I mean, I'd never been in anywhere. Like, I really did not know what was going on around me. <laughs> And it was fun, you know, and I did the same thing at the recording studio that I did at Sly's house. I sat there and studied. <laughs> but Sly had me, or I should say Green had me doing my job, which was listening, basically spying on people. Um, yeah. Because everybody wanted a piece of Sly. Everybody wanted him. And, you know, I went into the coffee room one time at A&M to make myself some hot chocolate and um, I hear this guy behind me say, you know where the coffee creamer is? And I turn around and it's little Stevie Van Zant, straight out of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band with yeah, the, yeah. you know, the, the thing around his head and the big earring and everything. And he's tiny. And 
uh, you know, try not to like let my jaw drop. And I said, yeah, sure. So I get it for him off the top shelf because he can't reach. And um, <laughs> I'm not that tall. Um, <laughs> and then he says, are you here with Sly? And I said, yeah. And he says, can you get me in? And I said, no, I'm sorry. Because that was the thing about Sly. He didn't care. He was not impressed by anybody or anything. There was no one that he wanted to see. There was nothing that he wanted to do. He didn't want to go anywhere. He didn't want, he didn't want anything. He wanted to make some music and he wanted his drugs. And that's, that's you know, the oh, sad apart, truth of it. Apart from the drugs, that's, I mean, Prince had a similar attitude yeah. to like celebrity and famous people as like there was. Um, yeah, some. Some, Some, but at least he had people that he, he really admired. I mean, he really wanted to work with Sly. That much was really clear to me. And, you know, I mean, he appreciated James Brown and he appreciated, you know, so many others, Clinton and, you know, Maceo yeah. and Sly was a whole nother level. Sly really didn't care. Because uh, I, I always wondered whether Prince wanted to, like, work with Sly or if it was more of a you know, don't meet no. your heroes thing. And I don't know. I never, he really, really never figured that out. Well, I can tell you, at least for the period of time that I was working for Sly. Yeah. He really, really, really wanted to meet him, but it was very important to Prince from the impression that I got that he do it with Sly being sober and, yeah. and Sly wasn't, he wasn't sober. And so that was a huge issue. And, um, so there were time after time during that period where messages were sent in the music to kind of let Sly know. Now, the sad thing is that, you know, all of us that were working with Sly, we got we got it. We understood the messages. We heard it, but we knew Sly didn't care. He just didn't. He had no interest in working with Prince or anybody else for that matter. It was hard because A&M really wanted him, well, John McClain really wanted him to put out music. I mean, that is kind of, it's a business. But at the same time, Sly wasn't interested in that. He didn't care that it was a business. He didn't care that people heard his music. He really didn't. He just wanted to make the music. And they wanted him to finish Ikebo Static. And they kept bringing in new producers. So uh, we worked with Bobby Womack. We worked with uh, Rudy Love. And every time they would suggest something to Sly... Sly would get pissed and he would storm out. He'd grab all the tapes and <laughs> storm out. And yeah. one of the times he was storming out of A&M, you know, he, he gave me the look and he says, we're out of here. And uh, so I grab my stuff and start heading for the door and we're, we get to the hallway. There's like a, I don't know, like a reception area outside of the first studio. And um, there's a guy sitting on a bench and he's got long colorful dreads braids uh cornrows and all kinds of crazy stuff and he's uh he's got overalls on and i i didn't know who it was and i'm thinking who is this person but you know you see all kinds of crazy stuff at the yeah well in la and um and i as i'm walking out i see a penny on the floor so i pick it up and i'm talking kind of to myself and kind of to the people that i assume are right behind me and I say, hey, I found a penny. And I turn around and nobody's behind me. I thought they were all storming out. And the guy on the bench says, that's my penny. And so I pitch it at him. And he doesn't expect me to. 
And just then, Sly comes out and he says to George Clinton, who it turned out was on the bench. Mm. Oh, no, he didn't say anything to George. Uh, George says to him, hey, who is this girl you got with you? And then he says, yeah, what about her? And <laughs> he says, you just, she just beat me in the balls with a penny. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's all yelling at Sly. So apparently that's how I met George Clinton is I beamed him in the balls with a penny. I don't know that he would remember that, but there you go. And then uh, there was some, some period of time that we did a little bit with George Clinton, but not much. George was working with the red hot chili peppers at the time. Ah, yep. Yep. I remember that. And so, um, but flea. So there was a phone call or a message that was taken by somebody at George Clinton's group that Flea had called, and they wrote it down, Fly, and he thought it said Sly. Uh. So so George Clinton ends up calling Sly, and Sly's like, I didn't call you. <laughs> and so <laughs> they went back and forth and finally figured out, oh, no, it was Flea. Flea called him, not, yeah. not Sly. <laughs> so, yeah, let's see. So, yeah, J- Prince wanted to work with Sly. That much was really, really apparent. There were a few different times where paths – almost crossed almost crossed there's a song another lover hole in your head yep yep on the parade album that is song out to sly and i know most people don't catch it because most people don't know you know their sly lyrics that are prince fans Mm, tell me more okay so first of all another lover hole in your head is a run together title yeah and he got that from sly because Thank you for letting me be myself again. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Sly right there, right? Yep. And then on top of that, if you read the lyrics to You Need Another Lover, um, let's see. I'm going to pull them up because my brain, right? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> this is 30 years ago, folks. Yeah. And uh, although I never did drugs, uh, you wouldn't know it. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't remember things that happened yeah. last week, so don't worry about it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Okay, so there we go. Lyrics. It actually sounds like it's a love song, and you could take it that way, and it's meant that way in the movie, you know, because they play yeah. it as he's rushing in to catch Mary on the airplane and all that. But if you read the lyrics, I gave my love. Well, what's his love? His music, right? Yeah. He gave his life. He gave his body and mind. We were inseparable. I guess I gave you all of my time. And now you plead insanity and you don't even know the score. Why can't you learn to play the game? Babe, don't you know that you need more? You need another lover like you need a hole in your head. Okay. So what if the other love is the drugs? Uh-huh. Okay, because then you get to verse two. We were brothers and sisters united all for love. This is not a one woman and one man thing. This is we're brothers and sisters united all for love. And that's straight out of Sly Stone lyrics. The idea of brothers and sisters being united for love. Yeah. Uh, Now all of a sudden you try to fight it. Say you've had enough. Even though we had big fun. Now big fun. That's that's Sly all over the place. You know, he wrote hot fun in the summertime. He wrote fun. And his daughter's name was fun. And Prince Prince even did a song later on called Big Fun. Yes. Yes. So all of that is like straight out of Sly. 
Mm. You want another someone, you're happily ever after. Okay. So when we heard this song, we thought, wow, he's calling out to Sly. That's fascinating. And then at the very end, how does it end? There's going to be a riot if you don't clap your hands, if you don't make that funky stand, everybody. Oh, how many Sly references could you have in one sentence? (laughs) (laughs) There's a riot going on. Yeah. Yeah. Stand. Yeah. Stand. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you see where I'm going with this. If you're seeped in Sly, this is not a love song. This is a cry out to Sly to get his act together and come work with Prince. We need to do that funky stand. Mm. So that's how we saw it. So when you first got that album and got that track, did you uh-huh. get that straight away or did somebody else oh, say, yeah. hey, listen to this, listen to these references? Or did you just listen to the lyrics and go, oh, that's straight away you knew what it was? Because I, you know, it's, it's 30 years later. I never even thought about it. I know. I know. There's so much like that. Um, Green and I were listening to the record when it came out and we were just gasping, gasping, you know, <gasps> that's Sly. Yeah. He's talking to Sly. And if you knew that, you know, now did Sly care? No. <laughs> <laughs> did he did Sly know? Ever did want to did, listen did to you guys record? take that track to him and say, listen to this or? He didn't want to listen to anybody else. He didn't want to do no, it. He didn't care. Else. He didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another example, Love or Money. Now that's a song, another song from, um, you know, it's a B-side, but it's from the, the record. Or from the movie, I should Around say. Around the same time, yeah. Yeah, Lover Money. And Lover Money, Green told me, this is not about anything but Sly. And he had me listen to it. He's the one that pointed that out to me. Right when it came out, we, we had it. I remember standing there looking at the record going round and round and just being amazed. Um, if love is drugs or money. I mean, because it... It kind of doesn't make sense in the movie even. I mean, it, it does and it doesn't. He's trying to decide if he's going for love or if he's going for money. But the actual, the love or money lyrics, especially in the long version, nothing comes for free. If you want to be with me, what's it going to be? Is it love or is it money? He wanted to go make some money with Sly, you know? What's your name? What's your claim to fame? Mm. I don't like silly games. Is it love or is it money? What's on your mind? Are we just making time? That's straight out of Sly. Will our spirits rhyme? That's straight out of Sly. Is it love or is it money? Showtime. Okay. And then he goes into um, Baby Take Me By The Hand. Okay. He was bad. He was fresh. Fresh. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. All the women said he he was the best, had money up to his neck, but it didn't mean a heck. Yep. The boy was, you you know the rest of it. But uh, we could play for days. Yeah. Get the groove on the bus. So we saw it immediately as another message to Sly. And you can, you know, go through it and pull it apart. There are so, so many references to Sly songs in that song. It's pretty amazing. But, you know, the question people will say is, was it was that Prince's intention to send a message to Sly or was it just this massive, oh, what's that word? Oh, God, my brain, it's early in the morning. <laughs> it's a kind of a double entendre, right? Sure, could I be reading too much into it? Sure. But here, uh, okay, so then there was a concert. 
Yeah. And I haven't found reference to this concert anywhere, but it happened. There was a concert at the Wiltern. It was by invitation only. Prince gave a concert to famous people, believe it or not. Uh, he had a concert for all the stars and celebrities. Sly was sent tickets. He didn't care. He didn't want them. He didn't want to go. He could care less. So Green and I went with his ticket. I sat in front of Janet Jackson and his her, her two bodyguards. I turned around to say hi, and they looked at me like, you say one word and we will kill you. Yeah, don't even think so, about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Prince knew where everybody was sitting. I mean, he knew who was sitting in which seat. He really, really did. And that concert was both amazing and and really sad because you know how Prince, he he's not performing for you. He's making music with you. He wants you to play with him. It's yeah. a group it's, yeah, it's effort. Participation, yeah. It's participation, and these people did not get that. So yeah. I know that the concert was cut short because of that, because, you know, there were a few people who were diehard fans that were, you know, happened to be there and were singing it up and doing all the hand movements and the oots and, you know, all of that back and forth. But mostly people sat there, which was really sad. And so at one point, Prince just walked off the stage. But before that happened, he did Pop Life. And yeah. he stared into my soul when he sang that. When he got to the line about what you're putting in your nose, is that where all your money goes? The river of addiction flows. I thought he was going to, like, his eyes were going to just, you know, laser beam through me. <laughs> it was yeah. so intense. <laughs> he knew who was supposed to be in that seat. Yeah. And he was singing to him. The other part of it that was really interesting was, uh, you know, while I was working for Sly, there were a couple of times that he got arrested. Yeah. He got arrested once for drugs, and it was a thing where they actually planted them on him, which was weird. Yeah, that, you know, that, they, that doesn't sound like it was necessary, really, well, the way yes things were no. going around if, that time. <laughs> if he had drugs, he was home using them. He wasn't... You know, walking around out. carrying them. Yeah. No, no, he wouldn't carry them. He wouldn't have any with him. If he had it, it was gone. Yeah. So that was anyway. But there was another time where he was he had a court case, and it was because of um, child support issues. I think it was for Sly Jr., but I I couldn't tell you for sure. But in any case, there was some child support back pay that hadn't happened because. So I didn't have any money when I knew him. Um, you know, I bought him toilet paper one year for Christmas because mm. I was tired of going over there and not having anything to wipe with. Yeah. I was like, really? No toilet paper? Dude, come on. There are necessities. Yeah. And we ate ramen noodles. It was really, it was sad. It was very sad. Um, if he had money, it went to the drugs. But he was in the child support case and I did not go to this, but Green did. And he came back and he told me, now, Green assault. Yeah. Green was a liar. <laughs> hmm. He lied about a lot of things to me and to a lot of people. That said, uh, what he told me was interesting. He told me when he got back from the court case that Sly had been released because somebody from Prince's camp had come forward and paid off the fine, the back owed, everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, now that he's passed, we hear all these stories about these things that he did and he never wanted, you know, anybody yeah, to know. Yeah, that sounds like it, a 
something he definitely would have done, probably. It does, doesn't it? So I don't know, you know, what happened with that, if there was any communication between them or what. But I do know that that's what I was told at the time, that Sly's bail and the back support that was owing and all of that was paid by uh, by Prince. It wasn't Prince that showed up at court, but it was somebody from his yeah. group had taken care of it. I'd probably tend to the side that that happened. I'd believe that. Yeah, yeah. Knowing how, so that was knowing Prince's thoughts on artists who've been screwed over by record companies and stuff, and worked all True, these years and, and have ended up with no money, he was yeah, Prince was the yeah. guy who would come and help those people out. So that's yeah, I'd, I believe that one. He really would. He really would. And so then this next part is really interesting to me because it just dawned on me the other day that this might have been the payback, and I'm not sure. But you know, we worked on a lot of songs both in the Barham Apartments and at A&M, and then eventually at these different studios all around L.A., Slippery Moon, or Silvery Moon, and a bunch of other ones. And, you know, he worked on songs over and over and over and over again because he liked them. He liked the process of recording. He liked the process of playing with it and tweaking it. And that's what drove the A&M people crazy because he was never, ever, ever yeah. done. And and so the version of Ikebo that is on that record is nothing compared to the funkiness that I heard coming out of the Barham Apartments. At one point he was playing it and the speaker actually caught on fire. <laughs> it was that funky. Yeah. Yeah. And we were joking at the time. We were like, oh, that's the Ikebo static. Yeah. You know, that's that's, <laughs> that's what that is. That is the Ikebo static coming out of that out of that uh, speaker there. Hmm. So there were a lot of funky songs. There was a song called Eye to Eye with You. And that was really a funky song. It was a love song to his girlfriend at the time, Arlene. And he called her R9. And uh, there was uh, there was a reel to reel, R-E-A-L to R-E-E-L song. There's a bunch of songs. And I cannot tell you which song it was, but one of those songs, or maybe a whole bunch of them, I don't know, got taped. Whether or not Sly ever knew about it, I couldn't tell you, but there was a cassette tape. And uh, I'm not 100% sure whether it happened at Steve Farnoli's office, because we did go there once. And I I met Bobby Z and, uh, you know, Green and Steve were talking. They had met a long time ago because Steve was one of Sly's road managers there for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there was that connection. So they knew each other. And I had made a painting of Prince just for me, just screwing around. And um, Green liked it. And so he wanted to give it to Steve Farknoli. So we did. We went to his office and gave it to him. I know. I don't know if we also gave him the tape at that time or not. I'm not sure. We also went to Sunset Sound one time. And we walked in, Green introduced me to Susan Rogers, you know, stood there in awe, right? Um, (laughs) And he and Susan clearly knew each other, and they were chit-chatting, and I was just kind of standing there, looking around, trying to take it all in, and in the very next room, which was kind of like adjacent to the room that we were standing in the entryway, Sheila E. was sitting on the floor, and she was talking on the telephone, you know, back when they recorded phones and you had to sit next to the phone. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. uh, she was sitting on the phone talking to somebody, I don't know who. And I was trying really hard not to stare her down because, you know, 
Sheila E. And, yeah. um, but I was listening, half listening to Green and, and Susan's conversation and half listening to what Sheila was saying and trying not to look too obvious. Um, yeah. and, and then Sheila got off the phone and she kind of sat up a little bit and said, Hey, sorry about that. I was on the phone and I don't still to this day know what she was apologizing for. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and then she reached in a little fridge and offered me a Coke and I was like, Oh no, I'm good. Thanks. Wish I'd taken it. Should have taken it. But I think because I don't remember what else we did there, like what other reason we had for being there that day. I think mm. that's when the tape got transferred. I think Green gave a tape, a cassette tape, of what Sly had been working on to Susan Rogers. But however the tape got to Prince, I know that the tape got to him because, fast forward a little bit, and, you know, back then you didn't have the internet. So when songs yeah. would come out, they'd come out on the radio first. Mm. And then you'd go run to the record store, record store, yeah, and get them. That's it. So I'm listening to the radio and by that time green and i were done but um he called me i think because as soon as i heard it my jaw just dropped it was sly but it wasn't sly it was sly's song but somebody had cleaned it up and made it even better if that's possible and it was madhouse six being played on the radio Ooh. so i can tell you that i know for sure do i have proof no I have zero proof. I cannot prove it to you, but I can tell you, you know, cross my heart, hope to die. I promise you this is what happened. That was Sly's song. And now I've listened to Madhouse 6 so much, I couldn't tell you what Sly's song was. Yeah. But Sly's song became Madhouse 6 for sure. Mm. What you were talking about before, how Sly would work on songs just over and over. And his mm -hmm. priority was the recording of the song. After he was done, he didn't really care what happened to it. That no, sort of, he really that didn't. That sort of went, that's still how he is now. Yes, that really is. He records and records and records in his in his van or wherever he is right now. Yeah. But, but nothing's coming out and he's fine. He just no. likes the recording part of it. That's what he likes. Well, you know, it reminds me of that song, Love and Hate. Feels so good inside myself, I don't want to move. Mm. I think that's kind of where he's at. He just, he's good. He's yeah. good. He's good with who he is. He's good with where he's at. He doesn't need that outside. He's never needed that outside affirmation. He could care less. He's a funny guy. He's really, really funny. While I was working for him, he was going to be on the Grammys and uh, was working at getting him ready to be to the Grammys. John McClain, a lot, a lot of our job was making sure he actually arrived to things because, you know, yeah. fly. Yep. <laughs> and that was not easy. You had to entice him with something. <laughs> so we we got him ready and he went to the to the Grammys and then afterwards I asked him how it was. And you he, he used to say, hurry up and wait, you know, because that's yeah. what it is. You know, you just got to hurry, hurry, hurry. Okay, now you just sit here and wait. And he hated waiting. But they put him next to Stevie Wonder. He sat in the front row next to Stevie Wonder that year. And there'd be long breaks in between when they were, you know, changing yeah. things or whatever. And uh, he says, he told me this story. It was hysterical. He says he was talking to, to uh, Stevie. And he said, Stevie, man, I can't stand it anymore. 
And Stevie says, what, Sly? And you got to imagine Sly doing Stevie, moving his head was hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> what, Sly, what you talking about? You know, with his head, with his head moving and yeah. his eyes closed. And then Sly said, it's just wrong, man. They're dogging you. And he says, what do you mean? What do you mean, Sly? Tell me. Tell me. What's going on? And he goes, Stevie, you're white. <laughs> Honest to God, that's the joke that Sly Stone told me he told Stevie Wonder at the Grammys, which is so wrong on so many levels, but so oh, funny. Nah, that's right? great. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I was dying. I was dying. So he was a very, very funny guy. Even if he didn't Definitely. say that to Stevie, it's still a funny joke oh, to tell somebody else. It's That's just I'm so good. I'm sure he did. I'm yeah. sure he did knowing him because he hardly ever talked. But yeah. when he talked, it was it was something. Mm. It was amazing. amazing. Oh, God, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> funny guy. Funny oh, guy. funny. Yeah. So, like with yeah, such the, a... the sense of humor that both Sly and Prince had, you just you can't not think yeah. – how they would have got on together. Oh, they would have gotten uh, along so well because they both just loved that turn of phrase, that double yeah. entendre, that being funny and being silly, um, you know, playing jokes on people. Yeah, they'd have gotten along great, but wasn't going to happen. Then you've also got that thing of when two people are too similar, they don't get on. It's hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, Prince and his own father had that problem. So mm. there's that. It doesn't always play out like you think it would. The thing that just blows my mind now is that Sly's still here and Prince is gone. Yeah. Who would yeah, have ever yeah. well, bet money on that no. like in history? Never. Never Crazy. in a million years. But, you know, I'll tell you what Sly told me. He said he and Jimi Hendrix used to sit around and yeah. uh, he said he they'd be sitting and there'd be a bowl of pills. And he said the reason why he was alive and Stevie was, or Stevie, and Jimmy was dead, sorry, was that Sly would take one at a time and Jimmy would grab a whole handful. Uh. So I don't know if that's true or not, but there you go. That's what he told me. So he's a funny guy. Yeah, he used to say, um, one of the things that Sly used to say that cracks me up that I still say to this day is I'll be white black. Yeah. So, you know, my, my kids know, <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay, I'll be white, black, and and their friends all look at like what? What was that? What did she say? Never mind. <laughs> it's a sly thing. Never mind. I give up. Um, yeah. So that time that yeah. you were with Sly was what eighty five to what eighty six, eighty seven. Eighty five to eighty seven. Yeah, middle of well, summer of eighty five to summer of eighty seven. And have you had any yeah. contact since then? I haven't. No. Um, at one point, we were going to see. Prince at I think it was a Hollywood Bowl years and years ago my husband and I like probably in the early 90s and Rose was performing mm. and so I went back and tried to try to talk to Rose um, I ended up talking to Morris Hayes and I said hey you know um, I used to work with Sly and I used to know Rose would you tell her that Paisley's here and I said tell her Paisley and Green and uh, you know Green wasn't with me but she would know Green I know that probably around that same period of time, early 90s, I was able to get in touch over the internet with Arlene, who had been Sly's girlfriend during that time. And she did not remember me at all. <laughs> I told her stories that she said 
yeah, you obviously were there, but boy, I don't have any memory of that whole time period. That's how stoned they were. Yeah. So, you know, would Sly even know who I was? Mm. Beats me. Beats me. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say. Hard to say. Oh, I know. <laughs> Just wanted to tell you. So, you know, the time when I hit George Clinton in the balls of the penny. Um <laughs> Oh, this is sentence. this is why you're on the show. It's <laughs> the stories. Yeah. You know that time when I hit George Clinton in the palm? Yeah. Uh, um, yep. So um, <laughs> we got in the car after that, Sly and Green and myself, and we were driving away, and I said, who was that guy? And they're all laughing at me because I don't know anybody, yeah. you know? And they said, that was George Clinton. I said, get out. And they said, no, that's George Clinton. I said, wow, okay. And I said, you know, the last summer – summer of 85, I'd found this great radio station, played all Prince and Prince kind of, you know, the Minneapolis sound kind of thing. And then it played Atomic Dog. And I said, I hate that song. I'm sorry, but I just, ugh, you know, I loved the whole radio station. And then they play Atomic Dog and I'd be like, off. Mm. And Sly goes, I wrote that song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I still don't know. Did Sly write Atomic Dog? Mm. He might have. He told me he did, but he might have been pulling my leg. I don't know. Tough to say. I should have asked George. George was here in Sydney only, I don't uh, know, a few months ago. And we were talking yeah, to him after okay. the show. And I, yeah, if I knew that, I would have asked him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, next time. Next time, right? <laughs> next time. <laughs> next time. So, yeah, crazy. Crazy oh. stuff. So that's Sly. That's that. That is Sly, yep. That, now there's the print stuff. This is what people want to hear now we've made them listen to all the Sly stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the print stuff. Wow. Uh, so again, you've got a thing fell about, backwards into yeah, this. A birthday party. Was it 85? 85, yeah. So I had heard 1999 album um, in high school. I danced to it. I liked it. I, but I wasn't a Prince fan at that time. But then when uh, when Purple Rain came out, that was it. I just and I could go into depth about that, but let's not. Um, it just <laughs> it changed my world, you know. I just really, really felt understood and known by him, and I wanted to understand him. And so um, I became a huge, huge fan and studied him. I mean, back then you had to go because there wasn't the internet. You had to go, you know, find. Yeah. magazines and microfiche. <laughs> See, young people, they don't know how hard things were before internet. You actually had to go so and, hard. and do some work, do some research. You did. Now it's you just did. like and keyboard, oh, there's everything right there. Yeah. No, we really had to, to, to work on it. And I had a file and I was really trying to understand everything. And I, I went, bought all his albums and analyzed the lyrics and was just blown away by... The secret messages. I'm really into secret messages. Can you tell that? Mm. <laughs> he did. He has this language. And you know that. He has yeah. this language that once you listen to enough of his music, you catch on. Oh, that means that. And that means that. No, yeah. okay. So anyway, so I was really into that. And I happened to be moving out to LA that next year. And so uh, summer of 85, I have a uh, an aunt. She's like an auntie, you know, friend of the family kind of thing. Yeah. And she lived in Minneapolis. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go out and visit my aunt before I move out west and then probably don't get a chance to see her. So I went up there 
and I knew that June 7th was going to happen while I was up there. So I had it in the back of my mind that I would drive past uh, First Avenue and just kind of check it out and see if anything was happening because that's where I thought he would have his party. Made mm. sense to me. And I talked to my aunt and I said, hey, I, I think I'm going to go take a drive and go look. And she said, well, let me talk to my friend. Now, the funny thing about the story is that I am now older than she was then, but I thought she was so old she couldn't possibly understand anything <laughs> about music, but okay. And it turns out her next-door neighbor, who was her best friend, happened to work with Bobby Z's mother there you go. at the party planning company, Ooh. give my regards to, that was throwing Prince's party that night. Uh-huh. So here I was thinking my aunt couldn't possibly have anything to add. And she and knew she, everything. <laughs> she knew every, and, and she was able to, I mean, cause you know how, and this is 85. He was like having people sign all kinds of privacy mm. and securities. I mean, it was tight, right? But my aunt's neighbor talked and she said, no, it's not at First Avenue. It's going to be at the prom, you know, at Dorothy Parker. Dorothy was a waitress on the promenade. Yep. It's a place. It's a place that no longer exists. It has been taken down. Oh, it's been raised, bad. which is sad. But at the time, it was this music hall and banquet place. You could have a wedding there. You could have little mini concerts, whatever, right? And so we went to the prom. My aunt and my uncle, my cousin and myself drove over there and stood out front. It was clearly going on because there was a calliope player out front and people would pull up in limousines and the limo driver would go around and open the door and the, and people would come out in in masquerade everybody had a costume pretty cool and so we were just watching there were probably like 10 people out front maybe maybe more like five um nobody knew that this was going on and uh there was a guy named billy tall, handsome black man came out. He kept coming out and looking around. And I finally said, did you lose something? And he said, oh, I'm waiting for my date to arrive. Billy? And I said, well, it's, it's, Billy yeah. Sparks? No, not Billy no. Sparks. <laughs> no, no. Tall, handsome guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, he's handsome. <laughs> what are you ex- talking about? <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. He actually looks a lot like green. But um, but but this was a tall, thin, thin man. Yeah. And so he showed me the invitation that he had. And it was, you know, now it's on the internet. Now you can see it. But it was hand-drawn with all kinds of colored pencils and had little things cut out of magazines and was really unique and um, reminded me a lot of the 1999 cover. It's kind of Prince's style, you know. And uh, I told him, hey, if your date doesn't show up, I'll go home and change, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But he, he wasn't taking it. And eventually, while we're standing there, this white Thunderbird pulls up with suicide doors. And you got to remember that we had nobody seen the white Thunderbird before then. Uh, um, you know, yeah. Alphabet Street was not a thing yet. Yeah. That was years before Alphabet three, Street. Three, and four years later, so, yeah. Yeah, so nobody had seen the white Thunderbird, so it meant nothing to me. But the white Thunderbird pulls up, and I'm waiting for the limo driver to get out. And this guy gets out, and instead of walking around and opening the door, he just keeps walking. And that's when I realized it was Prince, and he'd driven himself <laughs> to the party. And he was dressed as a pirate. <laughs> he had on, well, boots, obviously. Hello? Um, yeah. <laughs> black boots and tights and big puffy big white puffy shirt. Big puffy white shirt, exactly. What else? Yeah. <laughs> Tied 
but it was it was even puffier than usual i mean it wasn't like flouncy in the front it was more anyway it hung down low around his hips and he had it tied with some kind of a a belty thing and he had a sword and um he had a thing over his eyes as he does black yeah. like lacy kind of a thing and he comes walking up and uh, i mean he walked right past me and i it's the first time i fainted my knees went weak and i just sat down because <laughs> yeah i sat down and i'm sitting there watching him walk past me and the few people who were standing around said happy birthday and he just kind of kept going in and i was like that's it i'm good for my life like yeah. i've seen him i'm good i i i can die happy you know mm. so we went back home and while we were home my nephew who was or my cousin i should say who was about 14 at the time and i was 20 he says we ought to go back. We don't know who else might be there. Maybe Madonna, maybe Michael Jackson. Obviously, he didn't know Prince. Um, <laughs> but he said, you know, we ought to see who else is there. Mm. And I was kind of raised, you don't take your 14-year-old cousin out after dark, <laughs> you know, to a rock and roll stars party. But I guess he was kind of autistic or I don't know what. He was just really quiet and they were thrilled that he was excited about something. So they said yeah, you guys should go. And I'm looking at her like, you're joking, right? And she says, no, you should go, go on. And I said, but it'll be late. And she said, that's okay. Just have a good time. Let us, give us a call. Let us know you're okay. So Jason is my cousin's name. And he says, let's go, let's get dressed up. It was a masquerade party. We might as well try to dress for it. So I said, okay, you're crazy, but all right. And so I happened to have a dress that I had made that ha was a drop-waisted lace dress, white lace. And I had a hat that was a felt fedora, black with black lace, like a dove's cry hat. Yeah. And I went and put that on and I said, okay, I'm a 20s person. That works. Yeah. And he, he put on a shirt and pants and a skinny tie and some sunglasses and a hat. And he was my date. And we got in my car and drove over there and... Uh, parked around the corner because we didn't have a limo and I said well, let's pretend that we're just gone out for a smoke or something which was ridiculous because neither one of us smoked and we walked up and now the crowd's pretty big around the front door but when we walked up in costume the crowd parted <laughs> and people said you can go in we're just waiting for Prince uh -huh. and I was like oh, oh. Okay. and Jason says we should do, we should do it we should do it and I'm like just are go. you crazy <laughs> we did we went in <laughs> The doors to the prom, you know, in places where the weather gets kind of fierce, like Minnesota, they have double sets of doors. So the first set of doors you would go into, and then there was a set of revolving doors. And the revolving doors were all covered in wrapping paper. So you couldn't see anything past there. Mm. Once you got in the front doors, you could hear the music. You knew something was going on, but you could not see anything. And I told Jason just, you know, take a quick look around because we may go around in this revolving door and right back out again, depending on, <laughs> yeah. you know, what we see when we get inside. And we went around and we were in a long hall. And at the very end of the hall was a woman with long blonde hair and she was taking invitations. And I was like, row, we're in trouble yeah. now. <laughs> so we take this nice long walk and I say, follow my lead. 
and we get down to the table and there's a lady in front of us and she says there should be an invitation for so-and-so i don't know who who it was and the blonde is looking through all the invitations in a box and pulls one out and hands it to her and said great sign in go on in so when we walked up i handed my purse to jason and i said could you hold this for me for a second and i messed with my lipstick and i acted like i could not be less concerned about getting in <laughs> yeah and I said, there should be an invitation for Paisley. And she starts looking and I start talking to Jason and telling him, I can't believe first the plane was late and then they mm. lost our luggage and then the hotel. And this has just been disaster after disaster. I hope that this party was worth it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was awful. And I had some weird accent. I don't know. Anyway, she looks up and she says, I'm sorry. How did you spell that? And without looking at her, I said, P-A-I-S-L-E-Y and went on talking to Jason and then she said, I'm very sorry, ma'am, but is there any other name that it would be under? And I said, it's the only thing he calls me. It's the only name I go by. Yep. And she said, I'm really sorry to have to ask this, but who invited you? And I could hear it had just turned midnight and Prince was up on stage. I mm. could hear he was giving the awards for best costume because it was a costume party. Yeah. And I knew she wouldn't go get him and say, did you yeah. really invite so-and-so? So I said, well, Prince, of course. And yeah. she said, okay, I'm so sorry for the trouble. Go ahead and sign in. And I signed <laughs> my name Paisley. And my cousin signed his name Sinclair. And somewhere, somewhere, somebody's got that record. And, yeah. you know, but there you go. <laughs> and the funny thing is, this is the only thing I've ever done with my cousin Jason. Like, we have never done anything other than that together <laughs> our whole lives. <laughs> We go inside. It is amazing. You know, shout out to, give my regards to, they did an amazing job on this party. There were flowers, like purple rain flowers, fake flowers everywhere on the floor. It was a little annoying because you had to kind of kick them out of the way to clear a spot to dance. Mm -hmm. That's how thick it was. On the tables, there was glitter at least an inch thick. Again, you had to make space if you were going to sit down and yeah. put your drink down. There were hot air balloons, big ones, uh, like, I don't know, say almost a meter across balloons with, they took the ribbon and twisted it and made like a basket underneath. And those were floating at different levels all throughout. And uh, so very around the world in a day theme. Mm. There were little train tracks and trains going around. There were fountains. There were a couple of staircases going nowhere. And there were big brass beds with lots of pillows on them, just in the middle of the dance floor. Um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a Prince party. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. Huge, huge video screens playing all kinds of wild stuff. And you have to understand, I was 20. I'd never been to a club, not once, not ever. Mm. So this was my first ever dance party, really. It was my first Prince concert. It was my... <laughs> I went from zero to 60. Yeah. So we start walking around and looking. And uh, it was it was amazing. Prince was, as we were walking in, the crowd was singing happy birthday to him. And then he sang back. And he sang, I want to thank you for being so cool. And then he th stopped and thought about it for a while. And then he sang through all the years, even though I'm kind of queer. <laughs> And everybody laughed. And I'll never forget that. That was awesome. Apollonia was there. 
at one point I was standing behind a very beautiful woman you know, from the back. She had really long curly black hair and she had this big paisley silver and diamond, I assume, um, barrette in her hair. And I tapped her on the shoulder because it was just so stunning, the paisley. And I said, oh, that's so gorgeous. I love it. And to my surprise, it was Apollonia. I did not know that. And she yeah. turns around. She said, oh, you are so sweet. Thank you so much. He gave it to me. Yeah. Um, and um, she was so sweet. She actually found me at the end of the party and thanked me. Said, bye, Paisley. It was so nice to meet you. Thanks for coming. You know, she was just a sweetheart. Really, mm. really kind. But the funny thing about Apollonia was the videos that they played while we danced you know, he had like a mix going that was amazing. And I knew my Prince music, but this was clearly something he had arranged and mixed different than anything you'd ever heard before. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he'd vid- he had edited the videotape to go with. And you know that scene in Purple Rain where she has taken off her pants to go purify herself in the, lake, in the yeah. waters of not Lake Minnetonka? And she's about to take off her shirt, her, well, her jacket, for lack of a better way of putting it. And she's got her hands right there. And then she pulls it off. And it's very quick in the movie. They had that on on repeat. So she was constantly opening it and closing it and opening (laughs) it and closing it and smiling. It was hysterical. It was so funny. It was so wrong, but so funny. Yeah. Yeah. And, And Maddie was there, his mom. I saw her, most of the people I did not recognize because it was a masquerade ball and you mm. really couldn't tell who was whom. There was a concert, like I say, my first ever Prince concert. The stage at the prom is about, I don't know, four feet up off the ground. Yeah. And um, so I managed to get myself right up to the front. He introduced his new band, The Family, and they played some songs. So I know who must have been there, but I wasn't tracking it at the time Mm. who was in the family. He played a number of songs. The one that caught my attention that night that I went home and told my friends about was Sometimes It Snows in April. Yeah. He played that that night. And it ripped my soul open that night. See, that was, um, yeah, that was not even released then. No, it wasn't. But I thought it was an interesting title. I grew up in Chicago. Sometimes it does snow in April. I get that. Um, so it, it stuck with me. And I, I told my friends about it afterwards. I said, wow, he played this really cool song. And then when it came out, I was blown away. And then, of course, you know, it has so much mm. meaning to us all now. And, yeah. um, and The Bird, right? He played a bunch of songs. And, you know, it's been recorded now. And you can get it 27V2, right? I think I've listened to it. Yeah, the recording is out there. Yeah. Yeah. So did the family actually play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They played. So you you are one of the very, very few people people who actually saw the original band play. You know, they only played once or twice on stage, and that was it. That was yeah. I think that was one of the two only times that they played. Yeah. And they were great. They were great. That was really fun. You know, they clearly were enjoying themselves and. I mean, it was a great crowd. Everybody there was there for Prince, and anything he did, we were very excited about. Yeah. I was, you know, I've, I've told this story to my friends and family for years and years, that at one point he played the bird 
and he held the microphone down to me. You have to understand this was my first Prince concert. I did not understand at that point that he expected us all to sing. <laughs> and I had been singing, but the moment he held the mic to me, I clammed up, which was stupid, <laughs> but I did. And then years later, after he died, when I'm trying to find information about the party, I find a review of that particular recording. And they <laughs> said... And I cried. They said, it sounds great. It's amazing considering what it was. The only part that's a problem is at one point when he holds the microphone out to the audience to sing in their silence. <laughs> and that, that silence is me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I burst into tears when I read that. And then I, yep, I know. It was me. I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> You caught me off guard. Oh, it's funny. Oh, we danced. We watched uh, Prince. He was all over, interacting with lots and lots of people. I kept trying to listen to his conversations. Jason would tap me on the shoulder and say, he's right behind you. And I'd say, yeah, I know. Shut up. I'm trying to listen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what he was saying. I just remember he was warm and funny and he was having a good time that night. I know everybody says he's five foot two. I I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm I'm five foot three. I had on one inch heels. He had on three inch heels. I was taller. Yeah. <laughs> so I've always kind of gone with he was about four foot eleven, but that's just me personally. Yeah, and, uh, it's just weird that physically he was short, but tiny, tiny, when he tiny, was on tiny. the stage, he was just the biggest thing. You couldn't look yeah, at anything he was else. Huge. It was just crazy. Exactly, exactly. Well, even when he was just walking around in the prom, he was just amazing. And I tried to keep an eye on him, and he kept disappearing. That mm. stuff that people tell you about it, him disappearing, yeah. it is true. You just turn around, he's I gone. Stand, <laughs> I'd be looking at him, watching him, and then he was gone. And then he would mysteriously show up in a bathtub hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and I'd be like, and this is at the party, legit. There was a bathtub, a big old bathtub hanging from the ceiling, and there he was. Like, I was watching him, mm. he disappears, boom. Up there. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he was amazing. He was quite the entertainer, and, you know, he never did anything by accident, that's for sure. Like, even when we met and, him, he didn't seem that short. Like, you just don't, I didn't even think about it. It wasn't, it didn't even enter my head, like, that yeah. thought. It's just like, oh, it's Prince, it, he's there. Yeah, right? Wah. Well, but usually I, most I people out. say, oh, the first thing I thought was, oh, how, how small is he? But that didn't, wasn't in my head at all. There were so many well, other like things said, the going. First time, <laughs> first time he walked past me, I hit the ground. So there's that. But after that, I was like determined to be cool. Mm. You know, I was determined to act like I belonged at the party. You know, <laughs> it was a huge party. There were a lot of people there. Yeah. Um, so eventually I see him kind of start to head out toward the back and I turned to Jason and I said it looks like he might be leaving I'm going to follow him and I'll meet you back here in a little bit and Jason says okay I'm going to go over there I think I see Madonna I'm going to ask her if it's Madonna mm. so <laughs> so I walk and I follow him and he's going out the back way you know down some stairs and through some weird hallways and whatever but I just kind of follow him at a distance and I get to the back, and it's the loading dock. And there's a guy standing there as security. And Prince is in his car 
It's just parked in the middle of the parking lot in the back. And the police are holding back a huge crowd off to my left. And I guess that's the way to get out. So (laughs) the police are trying to talk people into leaving and they're not leaving. And uh, so the guy playing doing security says to me, I can't let you out of here and let you back in. If you leave, you have to, Mm. you have to leave. And I said, oh, well then I'm not leaving because my ride is inside. Well, of course my ride was my 14 year old cousin (laughs) and I was actually the ride myself, but I wasn't going to leave him. And so I said, do you mind if I just stand here for a while? And he said, no, that's cool. And then he started asking me questions about Prince. Like I knew him well. And Mm. anyway, I just said nice things. I said, yeah, he's really sweet. He's very funny. You know, acting like I knew him. And the crowd starts singing happy birthday to him. And he got out of his car and he pulled out a huge purple plume pen with him. I mean, this thing had to have been like a a meter long. This thing was huge, (laughs) this big, big, dark purple plume pen. And he starts walking over toward the crowd and tells the police, let him come, you know, waves to the police to let him come. And he is engulfed because I'm up higher at this point mm. because I'm standing on the dock, the so, loading yeah, dock. Yeah, you can see down. <laughs> yeah, so I can see kind of down and off to the side. And he disappears in this crowd. Mm. And all you can see is the purple plume pen going up and down as he signs <laughs> autographs. It's the weirdest thing. And then, you know, I'm talking to the guy some more. And after a little while, he goes back to his car. Well, there was a lady and her son at the very beginning, when I had gone to the prom out front with my aunt and my cousin, and um, he had been there at the time, the the lady and the little boy. The little boy was about three years old, two years old, I don't know. And his name was James, this little boy, and he was wearing a red baseball hat and a red baseball jacket, and he'd been waiting there, you know, like now it's three in the morning, so... This is late. He'd been waiting and waiting and waiting. And he and his mom walk over to the dock and they say to me and to the security guy, does either of you have a pen? We wanted Prince's autograph. We've been waiting for a very long time. And he gave away his pen. Mm. And I turned to the to the security guide and he doesn't he doesn't have one. And so I reach in my purse and I happen to have a pen. So I turned to the security guide and I asked him do you mind? Will you let me back in, please? I'd like to say goodnight to him. And he says, go ahead. So I walked down the stairs and I walked over to the car. Now Prince is sitting in his car at this point. And I hand him what happened to be a purple pen. It was just a coincidence. And he looks at it and laughs. And then he goes to sign the autograph, but he forgot to take the pen cap off. So of course it didn't work. And he gives me this look, and I said, this is the first thing I ever said to Prince. It helps if you take the cap off. (laughs) And he gave me the side eye. (laughs) I got the side eye before it was the side eye, you know? He gives me the side eye and laughs and takes the cap off. And at that point, I I kind of um, crouch down, and I start talking to James. And James remembered me from before when we'd been out Mm. front, when I'd been dressed differently. His mom didn't, I don't think. But James did. And I said, hey, James, you're getting Prince's autograph, huh? Me me smiling. I said, are you excited? And he was like, yeah. And I said, cool. And Prince reaches out of his car with the autograph and goes to hand it to James. James takes one corner of it and Prince kind of pulls back on it, teasing Mm. him with it. And he goes, 
you ain't going to sell this, are you? And <laughs> James laughs. And he, Prince finally hands it to James and it says, love God, Prince. Yeah. And his, his mom thanks me and thanks Prince and they walk away. And now it's just me and Prince at his car and he has my pen. Um, <laughs> like I could have let him have the pen, like whatever. Right. But no, you got to get your he, pen. <laughs> he puts, he puts the cap back on the pen and he holds it out to me and I grab one end of it and he plays that game yeah. with me back and forth not going to give me the pen. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I got to thank you because your music has meant so, so much to me. I just can't even. And he got all shy on me. Mm. And he let go of the pen and he grabbed the steering wheel and he kind of put his head down and just kind of, you know, like sheepish. That's the best word for it. He got sheepish on me. Yes. And I said, and you throw a kick-ass party. <laughs> And he laughed. And then the police said, okay, folks, let's let the man go home. And I turned around, walked back. Prince took off. And I walked back into the party. Jason found me and said, no, that that wasn't Madonna, but she was really flattered that he thought so. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, as soon as everybody knew that Prince was gone, all of us had been acting like we were too cool. Yeah. There, it went nuts. Everybody started grabbing stuff, grabbing souvenirs, grabbing stuff. Mm. Uh, Jason and I grabbed pillows off the bed. And the funny thing is that my aunt told me later that her friend who worked for the party company said, I can't believe it. They took everything. They took my pillows. Those were my pillows. And we're like, um. <laughs> so they weren't Prince's pillows, you understand, but they were yeah. the pillows that were on the beds at Prince's birthday party 30 mm. years ago. So I still have mine. Mine yeah. is white, well, off-white with lots of lace. And it, it's a little worse for wear after all these years, but it is my, my souvenir. And uh, my cousin has his. His is purple velvet. Yeah. And the next mm. day we were just, you know that episode of The New Girl that Prince yep, was yep. on? That was funny to me yep. because it's all about sneaking into Prince's party. Yeah. yeah. I, I had to laugh. I was like, that's me. That's me. Wait a second. I, I, I lived that. <laughs> and then at the end, they're like, what do we do now? How do we go mm. on with our life? Yeah. Seriously, that's what it was like. It yeah. was totally like that. But then to my surprise, I ended up working for Sly and hanging with Jesse. And, you know, I was kind of always just on the outskirts of Princeton. But that, that can also be a good thing. Because once you get right in there, yeah, then if anything, you know, annoys him or anything, then you're just out and you're basically never spoken to again. So it's probably better to just stay on the periphery safely yeah, I, I, than I've getting heard that straight rumor. in the middle and then risking it all. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard that rumor. I often think what things would have been like, you know, if I'd done things differently. Can't live there, though. Um, no. when we did the crazy video with Jesse Johnson and Sly, as I was walking in, I had a jacket that I had made. I like to sew Yeah. I'm pretty good at it. And I figured I needed a jacket that said I work in the music business. And, um, so I, I had taken a black jean jacket and just, you know, funked it up. So it was cool. And I'm walking into the video shoot 
at A&M and this guy behind me taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, I like your jacket. And I was like, oh, thank you. And he said, did you make it? And I said, yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, I really, really like it. And later on, Green tells me, oh, that was Lewis of Lewis and Vaughn that did all the costumes for mm. Purple Rain. <laughs> Excuse me, what? You yeah. know, like, <laughs> I think, well, what if I had, what if I had talked to him some more about my sewing? What if I had been like, you know, oh, I want to get into costuming or whatever, but I didn't. So there you go. Oh, well. Oh, there's, yeah, there's always things like that. You're like, oh, what if I did this? But yeah, you you can't stay there. You can't stay there. (laughs) No, you really can't. I've had a cool life. I've had a weird life. And when most people look at me, they would never know in a million years the stuff that I've seen and done, you know? Do you think it's funny when somebody like meets you or reacts to you like when they first meet you and they have no idea about no idea. the things that you've done and they just think you're just well, like some nobody? Do you think that's that's funny to me? Well, I am just some nobody and that's okay. That's okay. But um, on the other hand, even when Prince died, it was weird because if you knew me before the year 2000, you knew how much I loved Prince. It just, you know, it was in my pores seeping out every minute of every day. But I had my first child in the year 2000. I have a 17-year-old son, 14-year-old daughter, and 11-year-old, oh, sorry, 12-year-old daughter. She just had a birthday. And they are my life. And the only thing I ever wanted more than to be a Prince fan and Prince lover or whatever you want to call it was to be a mom. And Mm. so, you know, it doesn't work. To have your baby screaming, you sexy motherfucker. It just doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So I still listen to it with headphones, but I kind of put it in the back. Yeah. And in my head, every day, every waking moment, Prince is the soundtrack of my life. Mm. He just is. There is not a moment. I mean, you don't need any other music than Prince, really. I mean, you know, Sly's awesome too, but... There's there's so much about Prince and there's so much music that it really is running in the background all the time. Yeah, and there's that much died, variety and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and when he died, my kids were 16, 13, and 11, and I thought, okay, it's time for them to deal with it. And they just were like, I knew you liked Prince, Mom, but come on, what is your problem? Mm. And I said... No, you don't understand. And how could you? Because I put it away. You know, I put that part of me kind of in the back. And now it's out. Now it's out. And, you know, I'm thankful to people like you that I get to talk about it some because it it helps you heal. It helps you heal and it helps to talk to people who understand why it meant something to you and don't look at you like you're completely nuts. So Malcolm Young from ACDC just passed away. And yeah. Yeah. One of the radio stations here in Sydney, they just played ACDC nonstop the entire day, <laughs> not anything else. And, you know, people who'd worked with him called up and talked about him and even just they had fans calling up and some of them were, you know, getting really emotional and crying a bit. And for a minute, I'm like, oh, what's wrong with oh, you? Come on. And then I thought, <laughs> well, that's exactly how we were when Prince died. Why am I judging that? When that's yeah. it's exactly the yeah. same thing, really. He meant that to them just like Prince meant whatever to us but I know when they first got on and like you know all these big tough guys who listen to ACDC hard rock are getting on there going oh I can't believe it it's really sad and straight away I'm like oh what what are you doing 
but then like <laughs> almost straight away I'm like no I get it that that's that's fine but that was yeah. my first reaction but yeah people just judge you and I, I do it too but then if you think yeah, about I it under- for a second you're like hang on that's yeah that's the same thing yeah it's true it is and you know I was it's hard there have been times in my life where I just felt like a spiritual connection to Prince that I can't explain and it doesn't make sense to anybody who's outside of that but there was a thing that happened with Sign of the Times. I had had a dream one night that Prince, I, I dreamt that it was like an MTP, MTV report and they said that Prince had died on a plane crash and about had a coronary in this dream. You know, I'm just so upset. And I woke up the next morning and I told Green and he laughed at me and he said, oh, because the dream was he was flying back from Europe and he crashed in an airplane. And I told Green that, and Green says, well, don't worry, he's in Minneapolis, you don't, you know, he's fine. And then I guess Green was talking to Susan Rogers later that day and found out that, no, actually, they were going to go to Europe to redo something or other, I forget what it was, Mm -hmm. but Prince had a dream that he died on an airplane that night, same night I had that dream. Now... Is this true or not? I don't know. Because like I say, Green lied. He would tell me stuff and then I would find out it wasn't true. So I still don't know if that's true or not, but it freaked me out a little bit. And I'll tell you what, when I heard that the plane went down in Moline, I mean, I grew up in Chicago. I know where Moline is. I know where it is compared to Chicago and compared to Minneapolis. You don't stop in Moline. You just Mm. don't. There would be no reason you would go on to Minneapolis or you would turn around and go back to Chicago. You yeah. wouldn't stop in Moline. Unless and it so was the moment that a hundred percent something serious that yeah. had to happen right now. The moment I heard that, I turned to my family and I said, He will be dead in a week. And I don't know why I said that. I just I just knew. You know? It was weird. I just knew. And I said I'm really sad about this, but I think he will be dead in a week. Something is seriously wrong. So when I got the call from my mother, my mom heard it first that mm. he was dead. I said, yeah, I know. I just knew. I just knew, you know, and, and it took me about a day and then, you know, I completely fell apart, but a lot of people did. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause there were a lot of those little things. Um, we worked green and I worked with a band at the time called war bride and uh, was a husband and wife, Michael and Kara. And uh, they had, Kara grew up in Minneapolis. And so um, she had gone back, they'd gone back up there to see if they could work with Prince. It was during the Paisley Park days when they were, you know, he was taking on a lot of new folks, taking on a lot of, uh, you know, people under his wing. And uh, she came back from that. They came back from that. And I said, so how did it go? And she said, yeah, he said he wouldn't work with me. And I said, it's because you look too much like Susanna Hoffs, huh? And the look <laughs> on Kara's face, she said, how did you know that? Did I tell you that? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, I just, I, you know, like that's what Prince would say. Looking at you and he just had this thing go south with Susanna Hoffs, he wouldn't want to work with you mm. because you look like her. And she was like, okay, that's really spooky that you said that. So. And there's just been a couple of times, like I say, when I just knew things that I shouldn't have known, but 
I don't know what that is. I don't have any. Doesn't make sense to me. Like when um, when Prince was here for the piano microphone shows. Yeah. We all looked at him and were like, man, he looks thin. Yeah. And a few people were like, he doesn't look well. No, he but didn't. But I don't, I don't think anyone had any clue, really, because he, he always was thin. Oh, yeah. He was a, never a big guy. At some points, he was like, <laughs> he'd wear like the sleeveless shirts and you could see his arms and he had a bit of muscle, but he was always a thin, like a small guy. So we're yeah, just like, really. oh, okay, he's thin, maybe thinner than normal, but I didn't think anything of it at the time. A few people that I know said, you know, he just doesn't look something's not right but i had no i had yeah. i didn't have a clue and then afterwards you know you look back and you're like yeah obviously mm-hmm. it's crazy yeah but who dies in an elevator that's messed up mm. with their clothes on backwards i don't know about that he i mean never it did was in some of the reports by accident? But i don't know i thought it was in the actual the actual report that it's yeah. on backwards i i've basically i basically ignored everything that happened sounds like a good plan from that day sounds like a good plan because yeah. yeah there were official yeah. reports and then there was like rumors and then there was other people talking yeah. and all these articles and pretty much from that point it's like okay he died nothing i Bottom know line. nothing i learned from now on is going to change, we'll change anything that. it's not going to change what i think about him or his music so i've true basically you know i I read a few things here and there, but I I was never into all the details. I'm like, I just don't need to know, really. You know, I'm always looking for the secret message, so that's me. But, mm. yeah. Well, there, there's all me. the theories about the elevator, like in Let's Go Crazy and, you know. The elevator is the devil, stuff. yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't I don't know is the bottom line. Mm. We Nobody knows, so it's it's sad. It's sad. I miss him. It sounds funny to miss somebody that you haven't seen 30 years, 32 years, but you know, and I only talked to him that one time. Uh, but it, but it's a weird relation, you know, it's weird to say relationship, yeah. <laughs> but it is a relationship. Like, even if you never even met him, it is. you've listened to every yeah. song, every album, you know, over you, and you're going to feel like you, like, and how many times has he said, oh, you don't need to talk to me. Just everything's in the music. Listen to the music and you'll yep. know me. So once you do that, you've, and you hear him say that, you're like, okay, I sort of feel like I know you in some way. So yeah, even though yeah. many people never met him, never even saw him in concert, you still have this, some sort of relationship with the guy. Yeah, and yeah, you'll, does feel you, like you miss that. him when he's gone. Yeah, I do. I really do. I'm just hoping the estate <sighs> just sort, just, I don't, just sort their shit out <laughs> and just start releasing things, basically. Just yeah. Make Do you want to hear something happen? crazy? Talk oh, about weird, maybe not. weird things. <laughs> but go. I <laughs> uh, I used to work for Iron Mountain in Los Angeles. Oh, that's where they took all the yeah. tapes. Yeah, yeah. I worked there in the '90s before I got my promotion to mom. I was uh, mm. was their admin for Western United States region. We went through the big earthquake with that, and it didn't go well. Let me tell you, I'm a little nervous because I know what happened last time there was an earthquake at Iron Mountain. <laughs> it wasn't pretty, but yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. You know, things have come a long way since then, and I don't know. I don't know anybody back there now, and even if I did, I don't think I would try to find anything out through the back channels. But it like it made me laugh to know that his stuff is now at Iron Mountain. I was like, really? That's funny. Mm. That's ironic. Well, yeah, if you're someone always looking for the connections and stuff, there you go. 
Yep, Dara. Yep, <laughs> that, that's, that's me. That's another one. That's another one. <laughs> that is another one. That is another one. Wow. wow. Well, it's been awesome some... to talk to you. It's been awesome to listen to the stories. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I really appreciate no, it. No and problem. I hope that, you know, if you ever get any more input on, uh, you know, Madhouse 6 or uh, Atomic Dog or any of that crazy mm. stuff, you know. Well, yeah, now that I've, uh... I've heard these things, I'll be... I'll be looking a lot harder and listening and searching more <laughs> to try yeah, and find something. So, you know, definitely let me know if you if you get anywhere with that. If you ever talk to anybody else, you can confirm. But yeah, it's 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 been a wild ride. It really has. Oh, I know what I didn't tell you. I was uh, one time when I was working with Sly. I was trying to, you know, I so desperately wanted him to work with Prince. I guess I had this belief in the back of my mind that if he worked for Prince, all would be good. (laughs) Mm. You know, looking back on it, I know that's not true, but I called, I found in Green's phone book, I found a number for Wendy and Lisa. Yeah. And one day I got up the nerve and I called it. And you know what the answering machine was? It was the answering machine message that we hear in Under the Cherry Moon, where it says, you know who you've called. (laughs) <laughs> Would you like to leave a message? <laughs> I laughed so hard. I left a big long message and told them that, you know, I was working with Sly and they should contact Green and we should get Prince and Sly together. And boy, did Green yeah. get mad at me. He was pretty PO'd. Crossed the line there. But you never got any reply back from that? Nope, nope, nope. But obviously oh. they called Green back and said, Who's this person calling us? <laughs> <laughs> Oh well. Oh well. You had to try. I had to try. It's worth a try. Yeah. See, if you didn't, if you hadn't have done that, that'd be another thing. You'd be sitting here now, going, "Oh, why didn't I do that?" If Imagine only, what could have happened right? if I did that. Yeah. No, I tried everything I could. I really, really did. I did everything in my power to get the two of them together, and it just wasn't going to happen. It wasn't meant to be. Oh well. But I know that Prince would have loved it. I know he would have really enjoyed it. But I think it would have broken his heart to see how how sad his icon, his idol, had become. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why it didn't happen. I mean, I'm sure, you know, however much he wanted to work with him, like you said, he didn't want to work with him in that state. Yeah. So that that's probably part of why it just didn't happen. I mean, he's, he went, he worked with George, he worked with Larry, he worked with so many other related people. But not Sly yep, with himself. Rose. He worked. Yeah. He worked the whole family, but not Sly. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. That's been great. Mm-hmm.